everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, the next three weeks are going to be devoted to bands that you would categorize as probably new wave or power pop or maybe garage rock or punk of that excellent era, the late 70s, early 80s, just prior to MTV. So like 77 to 81. Anyone who listens regularly to this knows that I love that period of music. And so we're going to talk about three bands, all from the Northeastern United States, that were excellent during that period and, as always, deserve more attention. So first up is Arthur Alexander of the New York band Sorrows. Excellent, excellent, meaty, vintage rock and roll band. Now, Arthur grew up in Warsaw, Poland, with the dream of wanting to be like Elvis. So he moves to New York City, and he starts a heavily British invasion-influenced band called The Poppies. And they had some success, but it wasn't really until he started his next band, Sorrows, things got a little more heated, a little more interesting. They were a fixture on the CBGB scene of the mid to late 70s. That's going to be a thread that runs through all three of these episodes. They were signed to a major label. They put out two albums, one in 1980 called Teenage Heartbreak, one in 1981 called Love Too Late, and that was it. And as usual, they were one of those bands that should have been huge, should have gotten more attention, and they just didn't. So Arthur is a very, I love this, very opinionated, honest guy. Those, those kind of people always make for the best interviews, and he doesn't pull punches. He's very honest about why he didn't have more success, why the band didn't. We go deep on some of the bands like Talking Heads and Blondie and the Ramones that were big, that were his peers at CBGB's at that time. Some he likes, some he doesn't. It's a wide-ranging conversation around that wonderful, beautiful period, that chapter of rock history, that mid to late 70s, early 80s, pre-MTV time. I love that period in rock history. He called me from his home in L.A. First of all, I should say, I tend to talk to people who are obscure. Does the term obscure bother you at all? If I say that sorrows are relatively kind of obscure? Well, as long as, long as you don't call us the sorrows, just the sorrows, I'm, I'm no. okay with that. I know better than to call you guys the best sorrows. It's it's been a never-ending battle, which which I've successfully uh, (laughs) managed to lose, you know, from the get-go. You know, there's there was this this really fantastic band back in the '60s in in Britain called the Sorrows, really great band, and you know, I had this brilliant idea of you know coming up with the name for my band, and by making it Sorrows as opposed to the Sorrows. I, you know, I decided that it, that's enough, and people will, of course, know the difference. But yep. Yep. why was I wrong? So, you know, yeah. I basically spent the rest of my life till now, you know, correcting everybody. Now that we're we're not their sorrows, we're yes. New York sorrows. I was so actually going to mention yeah. that. I pure, knew that. I learned that yeah. rule a long time ago. I think it was Paul Weller from the Jam who said, you know, uh, I want to be rich and obscure. So, <laughs> oh, perfect! Wouldn't yeah. that be the dream? Yes. Yeah. Well, cool. So, that, so yeah. whenever it was that Bad Times, Good Times came out, was that 2010? Yes. Okay. So I think what it was, I had never heard of you guys before, and I think that album... Shame was, on you. I know. Well, I, you know, 
that's one good thing about getting older is you have and having yeah. YouTube and Spotify and a million yeah. other yeah. things. Yeah. There's yeah. Yeah. no yeah. excuse for not discovering yeah. a new band now. So yeah. I think that was like the album of the day on allmusic.com or something like that. Yeah. Even the cover photo of these four sexy, sweaty guys clearly yeah. belting it out, and I just thought this looks like my kind of thing. So of course I got it. Or I listened to it. I loved it. I mean, it's a piece of history. It's a masterpiece. It's genius. And of course, it's one of those, well, of course, but it's one of those things, like a lot of other things, that didn't get the attention it deserves. You know, you're relegated to being this diamond in the rough that true record collectors love and find, but didn't get the acceptance. You Uh probably hear this all the time. It's probably the whole Mm bane of your existence. How does this feel to you? Well, you know, I I kind of got used to it, even even back then, we used to refer to ourselves as a CBS Records best kept secret. It feels bittersweet, you know, and of course, yeah. you know, just like just like with any other artist, you know, any artist that will tell you, well, you know, uh, I had a couple of albums, but frankly, I didn't give a shit if I make it or not. You yeah. know, I, I can I can show you a liar. So yeah. you know, so obviously that that's how it felt. But you know, back then, you know, after after you know everything was said and done, you know, we parted ways with the label and all that. You know, obviously, I felt a, a sense of bitterness and betrayal and disappointment mm-hmm. and this and that. But, you know, as time went on, you know, uh, I just kind of looked looked at it, looked back, and I said, look, look Arthur, you, have, you, you basically have two choices. You can, you can spend the rest of your life bitching about it and blaming everybody for, you know, whatever good didn't happen to you. Right. Or you can just move on. And and if you're you know if if this is truly what you love doing and this is your passion and love, just go on creating you know yeah. and and just for your own satisfaction and for your own sake. Don't worry about it. And secondly, think about it this way: whatever you've accomplished, meaning me and my band, uh-huh. think of it. Think of the fact that. Probably it would not be an exaggeration if I said that, but 99.9% of the bands that start out mm-hmm. never even get close to what you've right. already accomplished. So you have two choices. You can be either sure about it or you can be proud of what you've accomplished in the first place, knowing yeah. that what you set out to do you know, is, 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 is and remains nothing but a pipe dream for most people right. who actually can start out in this business. So, Very true, you know, yeah. So, I'm okay with that. And okay. Uh, you know, Did you have that kind of foresight then, though? I mean, you no. talk about this very, in a very, you know, from 35, 40 years of wisdom now, but at the time, did you have that kind of, you know, foresight absolutely. to know? Absolutely no. I'd be lying through my yeah. teeth if I said yes. Absolutely no. That's what I said back then. Yes, I was yeah. angry. I was disappointed. I was sure. bitter. I was, I was, you know, I was pissed. You know that. Yeah. You know, you know. To, to be honest with you, and I know it sounds very, it sounds very self-serving and very almost arrogant. Mm. I knew, I knew deep down in my deep, deep down in my soul, I knew that we deserved it. Oh, I knew, really you know, I knew gosh. we have great fucking songs. It was yeah. a great album, and it it deserved to be heard, and we deserved to be at least. See, the biggest problem with sorrows back then was not so much that we um, didn't make it, but to me the biggest problem was how it was that we didn't make it. And yeah. I don't know, you know, I don't want to anticipate your line of questioning, so it may just 
the whole conversation may kind of, you know, veer on tangents. We'll but, go there. So I don't know if I should reserve this for your next questions. But like I said, in general, I would say that was my biggest beef with the whole situation, okay? It's, it was kind of this feeling, you know, well, of course, you know, show me a band who doesn't think their record is not the greatest thing since the sliced bread. You know? Yeah, and true, Obviously, true. that's the case. Having said that, yes, I honestly felt that our that our music, was way, way above the competition, so to speak. Now, yeah. I have to also say that the way those albums were actually made, and, and, and they, you know, I'm just talking about the music right now, not so much the albums, right. because that's a, okay. that, that is a whole different conversation, you know, right. could be part of this, but I mean, that's another subject. But from the business standpoint, I felt like we were really, really shortchanged and mm. really mistreated, basically. Okay. Really? And yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, there were, you know, like I said, I don't want to get into too many details. But generally speaking, this is where my anger and frustration came from. Not that, you know, Jesus, you know, I mean, come on, Arthur, you got to admit, they spent millions and millions of dollars, you know, on publicity, videos, tour support, this yeah. and the other thing. Okay, you didn't make it. Okay, get it. Uh. Deal with it. Yeah, they did. That's, that's the cold shower of reality, right there. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, you know what I'm saying? If they if yeah. they had done that, then I would have to say, come on, man, you got to be a fucking realist here, okay? Yeah, yeah. The record label did everything in the power that they could, and you just didn't make it, okay? So get on with it, face the music, and stop being a baby, and stop, stop you know, stop whining. Oh man. Okay. Uh, that that was the thing, you know. And in the meantime, yeah. they did the exact opposite, which is why I felt the way I did, because, I, I yeah. you know, we were just basically, you know, dealt the short end of the stick. Right. And, you know, when that happens, you can't help but feel, what if of course. Of course. they really did their job? Oh, painful, yeah. One thing, though, that, and I didn't necessarily realize this until, you know, I've I've known who you are now for basically six years, and I've been researching you more and more lately. Everything I'm reading is that you were part of that CBGB scene that, was gigantic and, you know, historic in the late 70s with television, Ramones, Talking Heads, Blondie, The Heartbreakers, Patti Smith. Are you right there rubbing shoulders on equal footing with all of those guys? Are you in on, like, the B squad, or are you coming in just before or just after? What's your relationship to the CBGB scene that we all know about? Well, in a nutshell, I'm right there drinking and having beer with these guys every night. Gosh. See, that's the part that kills me about all this. Okay. So, essentially, you know, essentially what happened, you know, before Sorrows, I was in this band, you know, you might have yep, heard of or the poppies, right?
that was the band that kind of came on the scene. Uh, you know, we came on the scene roughly, ooh, I want to say about 75, yeah, 75, yeah. 76. You know, the scene, the scene had started a couple of maybe maybe a year or two ago, but it was really right at that time where things were really starting to pop. So, yeah. you know, we played with the Heartbreakers, with television, with Blondie, no with way. this, with that, with, you know. I mean, I'm talking about the poppies now. So I was right there in the thick of it, and then you know, when when the when I left the poppies and started sorrows, you know, it was just continuation of the same thing. You yeah. know, with, yeah. with you know with with the poppies, you know, Blondie and Blondie and us, you know, used to play gigs at CBGB. You know, we we even played a gig with them at Fordham University, some pub over there, where they almost. I, you know, they almost got stoned to death. You know, oh, it was just—it was just unreal. Wow. So I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, I was definitely a part of the scene. Now, having said that, because of the type of music that we were doing, we were certainly not the media darlings and 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 part of the clique. You know, with the torn T-shirts and the safety uh-huh. pins and all this other thing, because that's not who we were. You know, we were basically, you know, the puppies and sorrows. I can I can unabashedly say. We were basically, if not the inventors, then co-founders of what later came to be known as Power Pop. Okay. Well, and as, that, and yeah, I, again, not be, having been there, I I didn't uh, I've been Google, Google imaging you guys mm-hmm. and the Poppies even on that anthology album, which is great, mm-hmm. it's out there and available for the Poppies. Right. The cover photo is the four of you guys, and you look just like the Knack. You know, you got the skinny well, it, ties. It, it, it wasn't even the knack. It was basically a throwback to the you know to the early '60s era. To sure, to people to whom that was kind of old news, they, right. they could, you know they, they could relate to it as the knack. Which, if you if you look a little bit further, all the all the knack we're trying to do is be the Beatles, all the way down exactly. to the rock amplifiers, you know, yes. skinny ties and everything else. While I give them absolute credit, you know, for they really came up with some, you know, a, you know, a song here and a sure. song there that are absolutely, you know, pop masterpieces. You know, their whole appearance and everything else in that respect was kind of, really kind of lame. <laughs> sure, well, you know, whereas we, you know, whereas yeah. the you know, I, you know, this was, this kind of harkens back, to, you know, this was really kind of like a mixture of taking the uh, the 60s, the whole Liverpool Mersey beat scene, uh-huh. And kind of, you know, with the dose of punk and stuff like that, of, yes. by which we were, of course, being influenced, being right in the thick of it. You can't help being influenced by stuff that you see around you, and on top of that, you like. Now, when I say I like, that means there were elements of it that I liked, but I also grew up in a different era where, mm-hmm. you know, I like kind of classy and elegant look. I loved the way, the, you know, the, the British bands used to dress up, you know, like they were dressed right. to kill. Yeah. You know, and you know, so I like that, but at the same time, I like that kind of a dirty, rugged look of you know the, of the whole punk scene. Yeah. So you know, th- there's a bit of a mixture of both of them. Totally, totally. And, yeah, well, especially was, for sorrows. Was... To me, that's what makes sorrows so special. The poppies, that's great, but it's it uh, it doesn't have the muscle. It doesn't it doesn't to me sound as as influenced by punk as sorrows. You know, you got it right on the money because. That was essentially one of the reasons why Jed Harris, who was the, also the Unit Poppies, who was the, he was the drummer, uh-huh. mm-hmm. he actually left first and you know followed by me. And the reason for for us leaving the band was basically because, as much as I loved that sound and that's what attracted me to the band in the first place, because 
Bob and Patty, the other two guys in the Poppies, who were great songwriters. I just kind of got tired of, you know, as much as I love mm-hmm. the whole early 60s thing. You know, yeah. it's 1976, okay, you know, it was right. nice, and, and, and we did it really, really well, and people loved it. But, you know, we're we're good musicians, we're talented songwriters. Come on, let's take it to the next step, let's take it to the next level, yeah. you know, let's put it let's yeah. put between it. You know, into it. Like, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to keep sounding like you know, like a like a record that just came out in 1964. You know, right. I shouldn't say I like it. I love it. Okay. Sure. But yeah. we are our own individuals. You know, we. You know, let's do what they did back then, which is they they took the music of American country and everything else, and they took it yeah. to the next plateau. Okay. So we all love the Beatles. We all love the Mersey Beat and this and that. Great. So then they're done that. We did it. Now I think it's time to move on and and take it to the next thing. And the next thing to me is, I want to sound like a freaking Abba meets the Sextus. Yes, there you go. You know? Abba meets the Sextus goes right on. Yep. You know, so uh, so that's that that's why yeah you, you're dead on when you see that difference between the poppies and what I did with Soros, which is, you know, I have to yeah. have insisted on great songs, harmonies, all the pop hooks you want, but by the time we're done, man, there's a there's blood streaming out of you. <laughs> yeah, totally. At that point, I think too, sounding too much like early Mersey Beats, Kinks, Beatles, like like Poppies did, was kind of a dead end. That wasn't the sound, you know. That was a retro sound by what? that point. And Sorrows is what's coming next. This is the future, right. at least the next five years or so. Yeah, I saw that back then, and I said. I don't want to keep doing this thing, you know. And yeah. this was also further compounded by the fact that, you know, some of the guys in the band all of a sudden wake up to this fact. Only to them, it it, it took on a whole different dimension. All of a sudden, they were they were like really kind of, well, for lack of a better word, they were really jealous of all the attention that bands like Dead Boys and, and the Heartbreakers mm-hmm. and the Ramones mm-hmm. were getting and were kind of like being shunned because we were just, you know, too cute, not cool enough, and this and that. So in their mind, they decided, okay, we're going to be like the Heartbreakers. And I'm like, why the fuck would I want to be another Johnny Thunders? I have a fucking beer with the guy every night, provided that he can actually stand on his own two feet. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, it's one thing to try to challenge John Lennon and try to be as good as him, if not better. You yeah. asking me to, to what? To be, to be as good as the guys that I play with every night? I mean, oh, this, this is this is this is crazy. Fuck right, that shit. right. You yeah, know, I said, we're, there's already we're a Johnny Thunders. You know, we're, we're, we're doing better our own than thing. That. You know, we're better yeah. than that, and and not better than that in the sense that oh, we're better than the Heartbreakers. That that wasn't the point. We're better than that. Right. We have the talent. We have the wherewithal yes. to create something of our own, uniquely yep. our own. Just simply be open-minded and and do it our way. Not exactly. Now, you know. So you're gonna start. You're gonna go from emulating the Beatles and the whole Mercy Beat scene to now you're gonna start emulating the Heartbreakers. You, 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 you're nah. pals from CBGB. No. I said, fuck that shit. You know. Yeah, that, you're you know, not that's a derivative. No, that's not what I signed up for. Yep. Which is why Chet left, and then I left, and 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 I started this band. And from the very beginning, you know, I kind of had a pretty good vision of what I wanted to do and how I okay. wanted to do it. And that's how it started. You know. Okay. I was, yeah. I was already writing songs, you know, by, you know, I had a catalog of songs that, the, the, you know, the puppies didn't want to do because it didn't comply with their newest idea of, you know, how to be the darling on the scene. And, you know, I just yeah. said, you know, fuck that shit. I want to rock and roll, right. not, not, not be sure. a darling on the scene. This is going to be a really bold question. I hope it doesn't yeah. bother you. 
Mm-hmm. Why do you think then that sorrows are basically written out of the CBGB's history that is, you know, rock and roll hall of fame worthy now? I mean, that era is under glass in a museum as being one of the most important eras in rock music. You guys well, were there, and you're mm-hmm. but you're not one of the bands that gets mentioned. In fact, I just yeah, got to put in a quick the, plug because yeah, yeah, one of my very from, favorite music books of all time is called From the Velvets to the Voidoids. A pre-punk history for a post-punk world is by someone named Clinton Highland, I think. i got to put in a plug because that's one of the best books I've ever read that details the CBGB scene. And I don't even remember seeing your names in there. You know what I mean? Exactly. Well, you know, and that, you know, that that I have to say hurts, and it's not the first time or not the last time I'm hearing or seeing it. Okay. And part of of the reason for that is, you know, that like it or not, even with Sorrows, we were still kind of, when I say friends, you know, it's not like we hung out every night and were invited uh-huh. to all the parties and, you know, with the cool people. Even though we were part of the same scene and knew those people and everything else, we still were not part of the darlings of the scene and, you know, and mm. written up left and right. You know, I mean, there was a review here, there was a review there. But yeah. we were never, you know, we were never cool enough to be cool. We didn't do drugs, we didn't, you know, we didn't do, you know... Our music was not artsy fartsy enough, you know, yeah, or, or, okay. or this or that. It was just honest to goodness, rock and roll, pop music, good songs, yeah. and, and, and that's that. crazy hair, you know, we didn't wear, you know, yeah. we were not okay. short hell, we were not this. And, you know, that's how basically it went. And 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 you're absolutely right. You know, if, even even my searches, you know, when internet started happening and I started looking around like, okay, so what is there about sorrows? Basically uh-huh. the answer was nothing. Yeah. Okay. And only later on, you know, I mean, as time went by, you know, things started popping up but I would even go. Well, there was there was this website. I don't know if it still exists. You know, devoted devoted to Max's Kansas City. Oh, cool. I, I I think I think you know if if our name is even mentioned there, you know, uh, uh-huh. it's, it's it's like some kind of a footnote, and it just absolutely boggles my mm-hmm. mind that you know same thing with CBGB. You know, like you read something or you know some website dedicated. You go to some website dedicated to CBGB. And you see, you see all these bands listed for miles and miles and miles, and it's like ninety-eight percent of those names I never even heard of. Who the hell are oh. these people? <laughs> you know what I mean? They, right. you know, they when they had, you know, they, they've had they've had these uh, reunion festivals in New York over the years. You know, like the Max's Kansas City reunion and CBGB right. reunion. You know, 
one time or twice, I think Peter Crowley from Axis actually reached out to me to ask us to play. And the terms were so ridiculous. I mean, if, even if we wanted to, you know, unless we were independently rich, you know, it, it wouldn't, have made, yeah. wouldn't have made any sense. Oh, gosh. But, you know, other than that, you know, so then, then you look, but forget even about us. You know, then I look at the roster of this so-called festival, and uh-huh. other than, you know, maybe one or two names, first of all, there are, there are bands that I never heard of. Second oh. of all, there are bands that didn't even exist or maybe weren't even yeah. born when, yeah. when that whole scene was happening. So what the fuck are they doing on this right. TVGB reunion? Re- yeah. Reunion of who? You were right. just pissing your diapers when this whole thing was happening. Or, right. Uh, you know, it is disheartening. And, and, yeah. and, uh, they may have come up and played CBGBs, but it wasn't yeah. during the period that mattered. Mm. And mm-hmm. so they're just sort of tossed in after the fact. Yeah, oh, I mean, you, you know, CBGBs, I mean, you, you come play our festival even yeah. though they're a band that doesn't matter. I mean, I mean, think about it. If you see, if you see a band playing a CBGB reunion and, and it's like 2015 or whatever, whenever it was, you know, uh-huh. 2010, let's say, and you're 20 years old, that means you were born in 1980. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which means by the time you crawl out of the diapers, the whole thing was over. Right. right. I, I want to emphasize it. Not that I'm being resentful of it, but yeah, it, it yeah, there's a, you know, there's a pinch of like, what the fuck, you know? Like, right. What are you thinking, you know? You know, you especially, said something that. Oh, go ahead. Especially, you know, especially since I also happen to know that a lot of these people who are quote unquote in charge of curating this history yeah. are old enough to know better. You know, right. if, this thing, if this thing was done by some 19 year old, 20 year old kid, I could almost understand that. You know, you yeah, you, you were not even around when all this happening, so. You know, you're obviously not that well informed to begin with, and and, and right. your age doesn't help. But you know, if this thing is done by a guy who was there, yeah, you, know, then, you should know then, better than that. You know, some you know you should know better, and and right. some should be should be done. You know, should should be you know should be given to the bands that actually accomplished something. Right. Okay, yeah, because let's yeah. face it, maybe Warren, maybe maybe Soros were not the coolest band on earth, according to your criteria, anyway, and well. maybe. This maybe that. What the fuck are all these hundreds of bands yeah. you're talking about? <laughs> what what have they accomplished? Right. You're talking about it. You're talking about a band that started in this scene <sighs> and was one of the few bands that actually went on to have a major worldwide recording contract. Yep. Okay, and and here you are talking about a band that if they if they if they decided if they got as far as making like some kind of a you know self-produced single that never nobody ever heard of, or yeah. maybe the three and a half girlfriends heard about it, you yep. know, and, and they yep. all of a sudden are elevated to this, to this level of some importance that like, as if they were really like the rating Kings back in the day. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So you, know, yeah. you look at that and you, you, you know, you can't help but saying like, what the fuck? Yeah. Why not me? Yeah. Right. You know, you mentioned something that really, I hadn't thought of it before, but when, cause I keep getting hung up on this whole thing of like, well, if you were there during the height of CBGBs, why do we not hear more about you? This isn't meant to sound like a criticism, but I guess bands like Television or Patti Smith or Blondie or Ramones were doing something that was slightly different enough that it drew more attention to them than what Sorrows were doing. Sorrows were almost giving you the best version of rock and roll, and all these other ones, hertsy-fartsy, I think you said, we're doing yeah. some kind of artistic variation on that, and maybe that was 
I don't know. Oh yeah, there's no. There's, yeah, I, I, think, again, I think again you. I think I think again you're 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 pretty much close to on the money because you okay. know New York being very artsy fartsy town to begin with and very snobbish of that. You know, sorrows were basically. You know, for the lack of a better term, I can't think of anything better. I think Soros were basically a great rock and roll band for America right. and the world. Yes. Okay? Yes. We were not exactly. trying to we were not trying to reinvent the wheel and we right. were not trying to become to, to invent something just for the hell of inventing something. Even though yeah. I'm sure to these people they were also not just inventing something for the hell of inventing something. But the fact is that, you know, there's a segment of of, of public you know, that finds this type of thing Far more, yeah. far more endearing than than just simply great pop songs, and right. that's just not their thing, you know. I mean, yeah. I, I, I get that, you know, I get that. Yeah. So, so as far as the whole New York scene itself goes, I guess we weren't dangerous enough, we weren't, you know, artsy enough, you know, for you know for the for the underground press to kind of get, get a hold right. of us. Even though the funny thing about it is, I got to tell you, John, this is. You know, and this will. This is kind of like the story that 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 kind of encapsulates the irony of it. Uh-huh. It started. It started with the poppies. When the poppies hit the scene, okay, I can uh-huh. tell you every single, just about every single fucking night that we that the poppies played, the audience in the club in the club consisted of the Heartbreakers, Blondie, and Ramones. Okay, they would not miss a single. They watched us like hawks. Yeah. And. They loved that. Joey Ramon absolutely loved, uh, you know, the poppies. And, you know, by, yeah. by the time Soros came about, they were already signed and touring. So, I, I you know, I, I, but I know for a fact that he loved the poppies. And, yeah. the reason they, and the reason they did that, because they were trying in their own way to do what we were doing in our way. Sure, and, sure. And I, I will never forget that, you know, we, we started, you know, because we started like everybody else. Oh, yeah, everybody's wearing T-shirts, this and that. So we started wearing T-shirts and tight pants and this, and, and then I said, "Fuck that shit," you know. I, right, I don't want right. to look like 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 all of them. So all of a sudden, we started wearing all these tab collar shirts, skinny ties, you know, Cuban heels, and everything else. Sure. And and one night we were playing there, and all guys from Blondie are standing there watching us. A couple of months later, their album comes out, and they look like the poppies. <laughs> yeah. They they came out first, and all of a sudden that was their look, not our look. Right. Now, That's what I was I have, kind of getting at earlier when I mentioned the knack. By the time they yeah. came out, got big mm-hmm. in like '79, wearing mm-hmm. those same skinny ties, you would have been doing that in like '74, you know? Exactly, exactly. By but the time they did it, it was more the uniform of new wave, not like well, an art, and, maybe and, an honest well, expression. And, and, and since they did it and achieved an incredible success with the, you know, with Shemai Sharona and this and that, sure. it almost, it almost, you know, to, to the public at large, became as if they were the inventors of it. Whereas, yeah. you know. I don't have it copyrighted. I can't prove it in anything else. But right. In my in my good conscience, I could tell you, I just about fucking invented it for the for, for the new wave scene. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No so kidding. Yeah. It, it, it did. It didn't come from Blondie. You know, like. Right. The, one, one night we're playing and Johnny Thunder is standing there leaning on the bar. The next day he shows up in a fucking jacket with a velvet collar. Who do you oh, think he got it from? Yeah. Right. Me? Right. <laughs> Yeah, I was standing. I was playing with a very, you know, wearing a jacket oh, with a velvet collar. And the last, and the last time I saw him, he was wearing. You know, he looked like he just escaped from the New York Dolls. You know, he looked like uh-huh. a freaking glam rocker or some shit. You know. Oh, that's great. So, so I mean, it, 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 it's cool. You know, I mean, this is this is also part of the scene. It uh-huh. was a scene like like has never been and probably never will be again. 
Yeah. There was competition. There was backstabbing. There was, you know, who gets the best gigs, this and that. But at the same time, every single night, we were all hanging out, all musicians, all sitting from one another, listening to one another. Sure. You know, it's not like today where, you know, you go, you know, you go with your band and play a gig and the club is packed, you know, a band plays and the band finishes playing and the place is empty because the 45 friends that they brought just left. Then, you know, you would go to CBGB or Masters and you hung out all night because you came to be seen and and, and listen to the music of what what was going on in the club that night. You then come, you know, sure, of course, everybody had their favorite band and some nights were half empty, some nights were packed to the gills. But generally speaking, the whole idea and the the, the whole vibe of the scene was that everybody was into the scene and into the music that was happening in these clubs, not because, you know, your boyfriend is playing in a band that's playing sure. them. So you got to give me some stories, if there mm-hmm. are any, about some of these people. And I want to go deeper into, after you do that, I want to know things, I want to know more about, like, you know, getting your record contract, recording that album, how you mm-hmm. felt, what your expectations were. But before we get off the CBGB's thing, uh-huh. you got to tell me some things about, like, give me a good Stiv Vader story, you know? He's a legend, obviously. Did you ever hang out with him, or is there a story you could tell me? Maybe not, and that's okay, that's okay if there isn't. No, there, there really isn't anything specific that pops to, pops to my mind. I mean, you know, again, he was he, he and the rest of the guys, Cheetah and, and Jimmy Zero, and, you know, all those guys, you know, we, we used to hang out, have a beer, you know, chat about music, you know, uh-huh. Funny enough, again, it, it was the same thing, you know, with, if, you, if you talk to these guys, you know, their heroes were exactly the same as ours, Stone, yep. the Arthurs, yep. this and any other thing, except, you know, when it came to actually performing, you know, they would they would go out looking the way they did and would go out playing and doing right. what we did, right. but, you know, there's no, there's really, you know, we never really kind of became fast friends or, you know, okay. went out of parties where I, you know, I could tell you some sort of details. But, uh, you know, that's, that, that's just how it went. Okay, okay. What about, now, Marky Moon, television's debut album is mm-hmm. in my top 15, 20 favorite albums of all time. It's up there mm-hmm. for the greatest debut album of all time. Can you tell me any stories or any, you know, anything involving those guys? Not really, because you know it, it so happened that by the time by the time we started hanging out on the scene, they had all you know. Television was really, I think, the first band that actually started playing at, at CBGB. That's what started the whole ball rolling with Kelly okay. and everything else. And uh, you know, by the time, uh, for some reason, you know, it, to be honest with you, the, their whole thing was again. I've never been, you know, too, too big a fan of, of this whole kind of like art rock, you know. So, so we never really kind of like that close or anything like that. Okay. And by by then, I think they were also already kind of like signed, and they were like yeah. sort of like the, the the they were already or not already maybe so by by them, but they kind of were like the aristocracy. I could of, see that of, of that of that whole yeah. thing, and we were we were just the upstarts, you know. We were just the yeah. newcomers, so. Well, Tom Verlaine doesn't seem like the most fun-loving guy in the world. No, you know? no, no. He and, seems like and, he's and probably pretty academic. Really, that's not a put down on their music because you know you like what you like. But I yeah. remember, go, you know, I remember hanging out at CBS, you know, a few times when they played, and I, I would just get fucking depressed. Really? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the music was just. I mean, I, yeah. you know, so, or you know, 
I, I know that may sound shitty, but somewhere between no, that's bored, okay. and, b- bored and depressed. You know, it's like oh, I, I love know, it. I, you know, it just I'm a, I'm a you know I'm I'm a real rock and roller. I love yeah. rock and roll. I love good songs, and that. That's what rock and roll is all about to me. It's fun. Yeah. Now, yeah. don't get me wrong. I mean, I do like, you know, thought-provoking songs and, and songs sure. that have certain sure. depth, you know. It doesn't all have to be Diva Palula, you know, but... Right. But, but they but were just Diva Palula is good. too much. You know? Yeah. Yeah, whatever they were doing was not... Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I never... I was never really too keen on them. And like I said, this is absolutely not a put-down. It's just a personal taste. Yeah. I just about. I love that you said uh, that. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised that if you ask Tom Berlain, you know, what he thinks about sorrows, if he, if he even thinks anything, he probably, you know, he probably would say, "Oh Jesus, gag me with a spoon now." Right, right. That's funny. I've been trying to get Richard Lloyd on here, so maybe I can, maybe I can track him down and get him on the podcast and ask him. <laughs> yeah. And ask him sorrows and he's going to say sorrows. Who? Yeah, exactly. No, well, there, you know, Marky Moon's one of those albums that's always featured on best of whatever lists and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so I bought it as like a teenager, thinking, mm-hmm. okay, I've got something really important in my hands. Mm-hmm. And it took me years to like come around to thinking it was good. At first, it was kind of just too difficult. And then I said, when you, I started to kind of get a sense for it, grow a taste for it. Now, oh yeah, great. you know, th- there are those albums definitely that that grow in you. And for that matter, now that you mentioned it, you know, I, I, I probably should say that. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if I, you know, if I put that album on and started listening to it now. Right. You know, at my age now and from the sure. time perspective and this and that and say to myself, shit, man, this this is really some, <laughs> some really cool stuff, you know, like, well, what, what were you thinking back then? And probably I wasn't thinking much of anything. I think it's, I think it's 10 times more interesting that you aren't a television fan. I love that. <laughs> That's great. Now, <laughs> clearly you are a Ramones guy then. They were probably. Oh, I love, I, I love, I love the Ramones. Absolutely love the Ramones. I'll never forget that, and and that you know, that should kind of tell you a little bit about how my brain works, and, and I get it. Really try to be to be fair about it because I still remember going to CBGB. I, I didn't know who the fucking Ramones were or what the hell it was, and they, these guys went on stage and started playing, and I'm like standing there. Literally, like it, as if it happened today, it, it'll be etched in my mind for the rest of my life. I'm standing there looking at this thing. I said, you, 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 "You're not serious. You're fucking kidding me, right? This is this is like some sick joke, right? <laughs> what the fuck is this? This is this, this, this is like the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life." Uh-huh. And, I, and I'm standing there, and I'm like going, "Oh Jesus, kill me now!" You know, and and and. I think I forget even what the first song was that they, you know, you know, their set was like 30 minutes long and they did like uh-huh. 8,000 songs in that set, so it's kind of hard to remember. <laughs> you know, it was a one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, right, four. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, but so I good. remember within literally in a space of one song or two, I stopped and I said, "Now wait a minute. Yeah. Don't be stupid. Yeah. These guys, these guys got something. And as this I is stood the real there, deal. as I stood there. And listen to what was going on. I said, "You would be an absolute idiot if, to, to think the way you started thinking. These right. guys are going to be big, and these guys are special. Wow. They are really doing something that is truly, you know, you would be a, a real, you know, a real snob, okay, to yeah. just reject them out of hand just because they're doing this or the other simple, not so." 
I said, these guys are really fucking awesome. So, you know, like literally in a space of two songs, I went from like, is this a joke? To uh-huh. like, this ain't no joke. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, no, wow. I love these guys. And, you know, Good. With, with and Joey, I actually had a pretty nice, you know, I mean, again, not a very close relationship. Okay. But very nice and... and uh, you know, again, they were, they, you know, except except for Joey, my, you know, to be honest with you, uh, you know, I didn't exactly find them the most enduring personalities in the world yeah, that I've ever encountered. So, yeah. And, you know, the funny thing was, like, one night, I remember, they invited us to, you know, to their loft, you know, because they used to live right around the corner from CBGB, you know, in, in, oh, in, wow. the, loft, in the building. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I remember, you know, we went up there, and Joey opens up the door, and I almost fainted because you know it was like one big space. I don't, I don't, I don't think there were like you know even separate rooms. Uh-huh. I think they were all like living in one open space. And right. I, I got to tell you that the entire space was plastered with these humongous posters. That there was nothing there but the really? Beatles, the Beatles, Bay City Rollers. That's all I remember. You know, oh. you know, you didn't see, you didn't see any, any artsy farty shit. You didn't yes. see any, any. It was all. Pure pop. Yes. Absolutely pure pop. Oh, uh, that's just what you want to yeah. think the Ramones' yeah. apartment looks like. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, so one guys, of the things, then. These guys were off the charts. They were, were legit. The and they're one of those yeah. bands that it's so sad they didn't start really getting the respect they deserved until yeah. they were gone. I mean, I mean, it, it's funny because we were talking about, you know, we were talking about Sorrow's album before. Look at, look at the fact that, you know, their, their first album, was just certified gold or something now yeah. forty years after its release. I know. It's ridiculous. It's yeah. Absolutely crazy, you know. Yeah. I mean talk about a legendary band and here's in my opinion, you know, if there's one band that really influenced generations to come, that's that band. You know, Remote, you can talk yeah. about you can talk about television, you can talk about Patty Smith, you can talk about this, that and the other thing. But how many how many punk bands are there right now at this moment as we talk Standing yeah. somewhere and just pounding out those eight notes at 100 miles an hour. That's exactly right. And this is the all purest. Right. Yep, yeah. it's as pure as it gets. Yeah. So I'm guessing, based on your criteria for being critical of tri- television, you may not have been that big of a talking heads fan. It's kind of the same thing as with the Ramones. I went to that thing. You know, when 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 I saw them first at CBGB, I thought like, eh, you know, this, this is yeah. bullshit. You know, right. and as I listen to it, you know, because I'm very eclectic in my taste, so it's not like you know I have like something of a tunnel vision that okay. I just like one thing and one thing only, and if it doesn't comply, out it goes. But I, yeah, I, I will admit at first, you know, you know, because it was kind of like artsy parts, but you know, as time went on and and it, it happened fairly quickly, all of a sudden I started picking up, you know, I mean, the groove was fantastic. Yeah. There was, yeah. There were certain songs like Psycho Killer and stuff like that, which were great songs, you know. Yeah. And I'm all about songs, you know. If you don't have songs, I don't give a shit what you're doing. Sure. You know? Sure. You can be the greatest musicians in the world, find great, you know, you know, yeah. show everybody how well you can play guitar and then go home and don't bother me. Basically. Yeah. But, but, you know, if, if the band has great songs, that's my main criteria. Right. And I very right. picking up that, you know, there were they were kind of quirky and, and, and you know, you know, especially David, but uh-huh. I, I definitely picked up on them and I, I and I could see what they were doing and their success I can clearly see why they've achieved it as much as they did because they definitely bridged that artful quirkiness right. 
with commerciality. You know, there was there yeah. was enough. You know, there was this dense groove, and and yeah. there was the craziness. You know, so there was just enough to the left and enough to the right to basically right. like capture people, capture yep. capture people's yeah. imagination. Yeah. And I could well definitely said. see that, and 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 good for them. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, again, you know, I would say, you know, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a crazy fan of right. them, but I definitely okay. like them a lot, and, and oh, I can good. definitely okay. appreciate what they, okay. what, what they did. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, I could go, I mean, we could talk about this stuff for hours, but I want to go back to Sorrows yeah. for a minute, because uh-huh. one of the things I'm always very interested in when I talk to guests like you are the transitions that happen in their life, because uh-huh. there's a moment where, and we should establish, I don't want to get too deep, because I, I, don't, I don't like spending a ton of time on things that are read, on information that's readily available out there, but you obviously uh-huh. you grew up in Poland uh-huh. and got turned on to rock and roll music in Poland came mm-hmm. to the States probably with the idea that you wanted to be in a band, be a rock star, do what you saw those rock stars doing from Poland, I'm assuming, right? What are you talking about? I was going to be the next Elvis. That's what I mean. Yes, see, yeah, that's what absolutely. I thought. Okay, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. No, yes, so, yeah. Right, okay. So, you, you know, Sorrows start making a name for themselves, and you get a record deal, and suddenly you go from being a, guy, a wannabe to someone who's been given a golden ticket, you know? Yep. This is happening. Mm-hmm. It's real. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? Did you have a day job that you had to quit in order to become a full-time rock star, or did you maintain a regular job while you were doing it? What was going on in your brain when all of this change and this stuff is happening? Well, you know, basically basically, what was happening is that <clears> – <throat> All of us in the band, you know, we, we got into, you know, without getting to technicals or details, all of us actually worked in, in a field of market research. At oh, the time, interesting. Yeah, at the time, you know, we all worked in, in you know, like doing these, you know, preparing, you know, the, uh, the data that was coming in from the field, from the interviews, converting them into what would be eventually turned into a digital data back then, you know, with main, main okay. computers and this and that. So we did it with a pencil and, you know, all uh-huh. those departments, and there were there were hundreds of these companies, you know. And if you if you looked in the room of any of these companies, that's that's all you would see: musicians, actors, you know, painters, you know, people people from the arts, because the the job was basically you know a minimum minimum wage job, no benefits, no nothing. But the uh, benefit was that it essentially allowed you, uh, on one hand, it, it gave you the ability to kind of survive on whatever it is that you were making there. But on the other hand, if you had a gig, as opposed to, you know, let's say your typical yeah. corporate job or God forbid, you should say, you know, you're playing a band, yeah. that's the end of your career. They, right. you know, our supervisors, you know, whatever they were, and especially if you were lucky as I was to have a role patron of the arts for, for, for a boss, uh-huh. you know, this this was a this was a gig, you know, because, you know, we could say, okay, you know, uh, Barry, you know, we're playing Boston. I'll see you in four days. And he says, okay, uh-huh. you know, come up. If the work run out, you know, they would be on the phones calling other companies to keep us employed and, you know, keep our heads above water. So, yeah, I mean, so this is what we're doing. So we had all day jobs, you know, and then rehearsing at night and, and of course, you know, playing at night. And, you know, we, we even, you know, kind of semi-toured at night, meaning uh-huh. that, that there were many times, let's say, you know, in the middle of the week, were you know be be you know with sorrows you know we had a gig in D.C. or or, or Boston mm-hmm. or Philadelphia, 
Right. And literally, you know, right after work, we would run to the, you know, to the loft to pick up the gear, drive yeah. down to Boston, do a gig, drive back, yeah. drop off the gig, go home, take a shower, and show up for work. Oh, you know, and, and what a life. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> Only the young and, can do that kind of thing, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, you got yeah. you got to be young and stupid to to put up on that mm-hmm. shit. I gotta tell you. Yeah. Yeah. So so we did have to be, uh, you know, but it goes deeper, really. I mean, the, you're talking about a certain work ethic that I don't quite see these days anymore. Without, without being patronizing, that's tough how it was. But sure. Okay. So we did. Okay. So we did have, you know, we did have day jobs, and and then you know, what the record deal came about, you know, yeah, we all quit our day jobs. You know, we got a. Uh, you know, an advance against for our royalties, which yeah. is which is a good thing because that was the first and the last thing we ever seen, we ever oh, saw back then. And really? So, okay. so yeah, so we all you know, so we all quit our day, day jobs and yeah, you know, to concentrate on 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 music. So the advance music. is the only money you ever saw from being a rock star, yep. basically. Yeah, I have never seen a one single royalty statement from from CBS Records ever. Wow. Ever. I don't even know. Was there a single off of Teenage Heartbreak? Yes. Was there a song? What were the singles? Well, you know, this kind of this kind of goes back to what I was, you know, what what I was saying to you in response to your how I felt about what happened and why I, you know, why we didn't make it. This is a classic example of what I'm talking about. When Teenage Heartbreak, the first album was released uh, by by CBS, Teenage Heartbreak uh-huh. was the first single of the album. album was coming out all of a sudden you know we had no management you know the record company decided that they're going to be our managers so i'm you know and you okay. know we were young we didn't know shit from shinola you know sure our sure. our attorney who represented us in in, in a contract negotiation was a was a, a friend of ours who was a divorce attorney okay, <laughs> okay so, all right so you can, you can picture how that went. Sure. Okay. A lawyer's so, a lawyer, I guess. Right. Yeah, so, okay, okay. Well, the guy's a lawyer, so he should know. Well, what do I know? Yep. yep. So anyway, so and then they, they said, you know, they we don't need a manager. You know, they're going to manage us, and it's going to be absolutely great, fabulous, you know, in this. And I'm kind of like, you know, I didn't know anything, but, you know, instinctively I said, there's something wrong with this picture. Yeah. You cannot have a record company manage you where the manager is supposed to protect your best interest and the record company has their own. So right. how can this possibly work? Well, what the hell, you know, I mean, let's go. Yeah. So, you know, so the record is coming out and all of a sudden, you know, I get called, you know, they have this they have this great idea. They're going to put, 
they're going to put a full page ad in a billboard magazine and it's going to cost $5,000. Oh boy. And I'm and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> you're going to put you're going to spend $5,000 on a full page ad in a magazine that nobody reads yeah. except for people in the business and people in the business don't pay for the records. They get them for free. Yeah. So I tell you what, I have a better idea. I said, why don't you take that $5,000 and take out a week's worth of full-page ads in the Village Voice, which everybody in New York reads. Yep. Remember, yep. this is before this is before Internet, before anything. So I said, mm-hmm. why don't you take out a full-page ad for one week in the Village Voice, which is the biggest paper that all the young people read in New York City, and advertise the shit out of the fact that we're playing four nights in a row at a, a CDGB headline. Right, right. They, would, they wouldn't do it. What? So, nope, they wouldn't do it. So this, <laughs> this, this thing came out. I, I, I still have a copy till this day. Probably 500 coke-snorting DJs saw it. You yeah. Know, oh, okay, yeah. cool. Okay, well, there's that record. Fine, great, fine, no problem. And that was the end of that. Then I hear... I, you know, somebody called me. I forget how I found out about it. Teenage Heartbreak single comes out, and without, there's absolutely no promotion of any sort going on at all, period, yeah. except for that one ad and some, you know, some little press blurbs here, there, and, you know, and most of them absolutely fantastic. I mean, just right. absolutely phenomenal reviews to the extent that we were getting them. And, again, keep 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 in mind that this, there were no blogs, there were no websites. Sure, of course. Were, it was, you know, it's yeah. a word of mouth, and and you know, if somebody wrote about you in Cleveland. You know, unless you lived in Cleveland, yep. you never, you never knew, you never knew about it. Yeah. So somehow, somehow, I, you know, I find out, teenage heartbreak single comes out and becomes a hit of the summer in Seattle, Washington. Really? Without any promotion, nothing. Wow. So I go back to the record label and say. Listen, you know, this is what's happening. Yeah, yeah, it's happening. It's really great, isn't it? I said, yeah, yeah it's really great, isn't it? But why don't, why don't you send us there so we can go and do some shows, tour, and promote them right. the record? You know? Never happened. What? Never happened. So were you not, I mean, your album's coming out. I'm, I'm imagining you going out and opening for The Cars or The Knack or Cheap yeah. Trick or somebody like that. You Nothing. aren't doing that? Nope. Nope. No. Then, then you know, to, to to give you to give you another kind of, you know, aside. Then at some point, you know, actually, we get a call from this guy from California, who turns out to be a booking agent of really major, major booking agency, who yeah. somehow got a cassette of the album, and he said, you know, he was, he almost got a speeding ticket when he when when the album when when he put the album in his car radio. Because he right was on. driving at 100 miles an hour, he said this was yes. the most phenomenal thing I ever heard. So yeah. he pulls up our record label and says, "You know, can he represent the band?" So they said, "Yeah, well, let's talk." So the guy flies to New York from from Los Angeles. You know, we have a nice, very expensive, you know, lunch, which I'm sure I paid for, uh-huh. you know, and, right. and, and everything else, and, and 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 we signed the deal, and he becomes our agent. So we go on this east 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 coast tour in a milk truck. That, that that's basically our tour, touring vehicle. Yeah, and right. We we I don't know if you know this. You know, I think it it, it happens to this every day. 
every year in the summertime they have this thing called Chicago Summerfest. Okay. Which takes place right on the Lake Michigan, you know, like multi stage uh-huh. kind of thing and this and that. So we, you know, so and and we're and and he got us a gig and we're headlining one of the stages on that festival. We're headlining John with Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, Four Tops, not not on the same stage. I mean, you know, we're one of the yeah. headliners. But this is the caliber of the artists we're talking what? about. Yeah. What? And, yeah, and we're playing with the, the, the band that was that, that was I think opening up for us was the Pez Band. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard Pez of that. Oh, sure, I've had. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Pesben was playing with us on on the same stage. So we get to Chicago, you know, and the first thing that we do is we hit some goodie record shop to see, like, you know, the, the, sure. the big display, you know, with yeah, Arrows, who, what, we don't, we don't have any stuff. So here you are, you're about to play this big gig in Chicago, and right. there's not and even there's Sorrows not, album not, for anyone to yeah. go by. And 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 the Columbia Rail, CBS Records, who obviously has a regional office in Chicago, didn't even yeah. bother to to say, oh Jesus, one of our bands is headlining oh, at the man. festival. Maybe maybe we should like do something here. Yes. Yeah. So you know, th- this is the kind of shit that I was talking about when you asked me how I felt and right. why, why I told you that's. I, I not so much felt because it, it didn't happen. It's just how it happened, and and feeling kind of you know. I mean, it just got to the point where I would go to these guys back in New York and say, "Give me, give me some fucking records. I'll put them in the trunk of my car when we, you know, when we go to Chicago, you know, to absolutely DC to play a gig. Because at the rate you guys are going, we're going to sell fucking more 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 records out of the trunk of my car than you're selling with your whole distribution yeah. network. You're yes. one of the biggest record labels in the world." And I bet you I could sell more record out of the, records out of the trunk of my car than you are. Yeah, you know, and, uh, crazy. You know, yeah, it, it really, it really was. It, it, it was just, uh, you know, just uh, there were so many, there were, there were so many things going on at the time. You know, Colombia was going through a lot of changes at the time, and right. uh, you know, another, another very interesting uh, aspect of what happened. You know, unfortunately, to our detriment, and many, many other bands. You know. The, as, as soon as this whole new way thing bro- broke wide open, as you probably very well know, all the major labels smelled sure. cast. So everybody was out there picking up anybody with a skinny tie, exactly. And, and, you know, and 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 a shark skin suit, you know, trying yeah. trying to basically cash in on the trend. Of course. But what happened was, which is a <clears throat> very interesting aspect, is that by then, you know, this was a really big thing in England yeah. going on at the same time. Uh-huh. And as you very well know. You know, especially in America, if you have an English accent, it doesn't matter if it sucks. It's got to be good because it's in English right. with an English right. accent. So, exactly. so a lot of this, but, you know, arguably speaking, you know, there were all these bands that were really making it, like Elvis Costello, The Clash, sure, The Jam, you know, and yeah. all these bands were happening already. And, and uh, you know, major stations like uh, QXR, I think it was in New York, and uh, WPC and in Boston or something, you know, the, the so-called big new wave stations were breaking all these British artists, and all of a sudden, all these record labels were picking these artists up, and it was much easier for them because they already had videos. The, the yeah. records were already made. All they were really doing is licensing them. It cost them nothing by the cost of printing. Yeah. So it was far yeah. more attractive to, to them to, let's say, market Elvis Costello Right, which cost them nothing basically compared right. to what it would cost what it cost to produce Sorrow's album, and then you know yeah. allocate for the budget, for the videos, for the this, for the that. Whereas, whereas all they really did is sign the licensing, and they got all that stuff for free. Right. 
And you, you mentioned videos. Yeah. Was you know by the time Love Too Late, your second album comes out in '81, um, MTV is a thing. It's not the thing we we knew that it would be eventually, but it is out there. Did you right. never film videos with the intention nope. of them being played on MTV? No, no, because 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 by then you know things were you know Love Too Late is yeah. a whole separate is a, is a whole separate you know chapter yeah. in, in Soros okay. history and 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 a pretty ugly one. Yeah. That so so no that never happened but just generally speaking I'm just bringing that up as a as another kind of a interesting uh, inside look into what was happening at the time which affected not just us but a lot of lot of American bands mm-hmm. was that major labels who were signing bands like us at the same time all of a sudden discovered wait a minute why should we spend X amount of dollars on Soros if for fraction of that we can pick up the you know the clash. Yeah. And we even have to pay for the artwork. We just use what they did there for the album here and then all we're already paying is for printing. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean? So to to, uh. to the record labels business wise this became a far more uh, enticing business proposition rather than investing into developing right. their own things. Right. What it was to basically exploit what was already kind of tried yeah. and true. And, and, and popular and you know on top of that it had that cachet of being from Britain you know which always right. like I said, carries a certain, carries sure a certain does. Head, you know yeah. Yeah. so you know that that certainly didn't help but then again you know that's that's not our fault that's basically yeah. how record companies work and they, they really never were they were really never much different other than the fact that yeah. you know at least back then you know, in terms of in terms of development, they actually did something versus doing nothing right. today. But that that was definitely another factor that influenced you know the course okay. of action or, or what happened or what didn't happen to okay. to like us. Yeah. So I mean, it, I should establish for anyone listening who doesn't already know Sorrows. Neither of these albums are on CD. You can't buy them anywhere. You have to crate dig for them in record stores. But the bad times, good times compilation i uh, that's what i want to know is out there and you can buy that and what exactly is bad times good times is it are they well, re-recordings yeah. or are they reproductions what is it exactly? no no basically basically well let's let's backtrack a little bit let's start with the fact you know what you already mentioned which is which is in itself mind-boggling to me yeah. is that all through these years as time went on, you know, the, the uh, you know the CD started happening, and then basically yeah. took over, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, everywhere you look, you know, you see all these reissues of of, of these bands mm-hmm. and this band and that band and whatever. You know, I'm not saying you know if, if all they did, if all they did, if all they released were, were stuff by Dylan and Bruce Springsteen yeah. and the Beatles. Okay, I can see that, but as time went on. I'm looking for sorrow stuff to be released and I can't find it anywhere. Yeah. Of course the albums the, the album basically went away by then. Yeah. So every time I would go to a store or something, you know, you know like you're looking at you wave a punk section and there's mm-hmm. like these albums miles of them, you know, the best yeah. of New York wave, the best of New Boston wave, the best yeah. and it was like with these festivals I was telling you about, you have yeah. like a, a 10 CD compilation, the best of New York and there's yeah. every freaking Harry, Dick, Jane, and Harry, or whatever, not yeah. a trace of us. I mean, there are all these bands that I, you know, that I, you know, never heard of in my life, 
probably nobody right. else did, you know, yeah. that, are, that, that are being released, and, 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 and you can see that this is licensed from here there. And yeah. for some reason, which I've never been able to understand nor ever got an answer to, Sorrows like literally disappear from the face of the earth. Yeah, yeah. Nothing, absolutely nothing. No vinyl release, no CD release, nothing. So, at some point in time, I actually, you know, in the meantime, time time went on, and you know, I got into a, you know myself in the production side of things okay. as well. Uh, you know, develop a, a studio and the skill set, you know, to do certain things with it. Uh-huh. And at some point, and I finally contacted CBS or whatever, find, you know, private connections that, I've, that I still had or kind of worked that out, saying to them, look, I, I have a very simple proposition for you. Mm-hmm. You're clearly, I mean, this we're talking now 10 years after the initial release, maybe 15 years. Yeah, we're talking mid-90s, so the record okay. was released around, around the uh, 1980. Yeah, so about 15 yep. years after the, the records were released. I said, you're clearly not interested in any of it because you've never even released a single song from us, even as part of some compilation. Forget actual right. releases of the album. So I tell you what, why won't you let me have the multi-track so I can actually mix it the way it should have been in the first place? Right. I will finance it out of my own pocket, I have a studio, so it's not going to cost me that much because I can do it on myself. Uh-huh. And let me put it out. It yeah. took four, it took like, it went on for about three years. I, I, know, I don't know how many people left the company, got fired or whatever. You know, <laughs> I, I, I constantly have to talk to a different guy, you know, next, right. in the next round. Finally, you know, nothing happened. Finally, they, finally they made me an offer and I, you know, I, I, I almost fell off the chair. They, you know, they they finally kindly agreed that they would treat me like an outside client. They would do it, not me. Yeah. That they would do it, which basically meant they would have transferred from the from the tape, from the master tape, stereo tape to a CD. You know, I can imagine how right. how how careful and how what a great what great pains they would go through <laughs> to do that. Right. Okay? Right. That they would that they would manufacture these things. And I would have to, and and they would charge them. You know, they, I think if I remember, they wanted a minimum of fifteen thousand copy per title, and they wanted to charge me like I don't know five or six dollars a piece. What? And I'm like, are you fucking crazy? Come on. Come so on. I, I said, if I put a gun to everybody that I know, maybe I'd sell a thousand copies. And yeah, know, right. Like Thirty thousand pieces so that they can sit. Anyway, long story short, you know, obviously, as you can imagine, nothing ever happened to it. Yeah. So, you know, more time went on, and I finally decided, you know what? Fuck that. Yeah. yeah. I'm taking matters in my own hand. And uh, basically, as it relates it relates to specifically to Teenage Heartbreak, uh, all along, my whole idea of this, of even talking to them, is that is that I was never really happy with the way with the way the album sounded in its final form. Sure. Now, okay. I don't know, you know, back then I didn't know shit from Shinola, so I don't know what happened and this and that, but all I know is that what we recorded when we left the studio sounded to me nothing like what the album sounded like. The album huh. sounded to me very thin, very small, you know, okay. didn't have the punch. It, yep. it had a little bit of a sparkle, and, you know, they, they kind of like, I don't know if they actually made it better in mastering or actually made it even worse than the mixes themselves, 
but anyway, be that as it may, I you know this was not what was in my head musically and how I yeah. heard the sound, and and more importantly, it's not what I heard when we closed the door in the studio after laying down the tracks. Right. So okay. all this time I was after them, and the main purpose of going after them and trying to extract these tapes from them, and doing it with them, without them, by me or otherwise, was to basically remix the stuff so that it would sound the way it should have sounded. Well, it turns out until this day they claim that they do not have the multi-track tapes, they only have the master tapes. Yeah. So I said to, you know, so basically I said, well, then all the more reason I'm not interested in your offer because essentially I'm going to end up with a product that I don't really care about that much. Sure, I mean, sure. granted, it would be nice to have anything as opposed to nothing, Right. But that's not you know, that's not that's not what I want. So yeah. I went to plan B so to speak and, and I and I started listening because I had those, you know, master tapes, you know, that they gave us at the studio. Uh-huh. And I started listening to the outtakes that were not used for the you know, for the purpose of, you know, for for the album. You know, it's kind of a gray area because, you know, remember the uh, at that point we did not we did not own the masters. Uh-huh. Which is why I was trying to do this in cooperation with them. So I'm not, you know, I'm not infringing on the copyrights. I was trying to do this properly and legally and everything else. Sure, sure. But in order to do this, I would either have to get a, you know, some kind of a licensing release from them to use what was then their masters, or I can't use it because I'm, in, you know, I'm, I'm on yeah. the wrong side of the law. Right. So you know, in listening to this stuff, then you know, I dug up <clears throat> all those outtake copies that were never used and realized that in terms of what they represented, they were not that much worse than what the album was in the first place. Okay. And then, and then, you know, because I have a studio and I know a thing or two about how to do things, we basically used that as a foundation okay. to create the master. I mean, I don't want to get into technicalities because it was a truly insane insane trip that I embarked on in order to accomplish sure. that. I yeah. mean, you know, that that that's a day's worth of conversation right there and then. Yeah. But basically yeah. suffice it to speak, uh suffice it to say that thanks to this, we kind of used those two track outtakes to to pile on m- more instruments so that I could get at the sounds that I could not get at okay. because I didn't have the multi track. So so we used that and because we used that, it became kind of, well, you know, I don't know legally how that really would hold up in court or whatever. But sure. the fact is that we did not use the masters. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. Well, anyone listening to this who doesn't already have that and is enjoying getting to know Sorrows, highly recommend mm-hmm. it. Go get the Bad Times, Good Times Cup. So, okay, so now we got to talk about what you've been doing for, you know, you went from nothing to Rockstar briefly. Back to nothing. <laughs> what does nothing look like? What have you been doing for the last 35 years? Well, How do you make a living? Did, nothing, nothing didn't look very good. Or to be more precise, it looks exactly like nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> well, you're probably, you're probably a working man like the rest of us, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, after, after, the, uh, you know, after the 15 minutes in the spotlight, you know, kind of uh-huh. the lights went out. I found myself like everybody else, you know, back back on the chain gang, so to speak, working yeah, yeah. working in in uh, in New York, you know, back to the marketing research, you know, first, and 
Okay. Just kind of kind of went from there. Then you know through a you know chain of circumstances, actually, I I applied for a job. You know by then I was kind of like a, on a management level in in this market research company. Okay. Doing the same stuff I was doing, except you know, now in a supervisor capacity. Through a chain of circumstances, I was given a job offer here in LA to pretty much work in the same industry, doing the same thing. And, okay. uh, you know, it was like one of those offers to good, you know, that you just couldn't refuse. Sure. So I decided to go for it, you know, and kind of, you know, put on a put on a suit and be a, you know, live in a corporate world. I figured, okay, you know, you, you had your fun, you had your shot. Now it's time to grow up and, uh, you know, do what everybody else does, which is have a real yeah. job. So that's, you know, that's that's what I did, you know, I moved out okay. to, to L.A. and, had this job and boy, could I could I not have been more wrong? You know really? that 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 thing that thing lasted about a year and a half, and you know oh. I got fired. I mean, this this okay. happened just as the the whole bottom was falling out in California with the recession and then the real estate bubble burst. And you know, so it was it, it was really very 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 hard because you know uh, I was here all alone. You know, I didn't have the the social network that I had yeah. in New York after living there for twenty some years. You know, so I didn't know anybody here, so it took me like a year and a half or something to find the next job. The fortunate thing was that because the situation in California was so fucked up that they extended the unemployment, right. I was able to kind of hang on to that for you know for dear life for as long as I could. Then I found another job and another job, and you know, that yeah. that's that's kind of how it went. And then uh, at some point, I lost that job as well. It was all in the market research, and I was just basically sick okay. of it anyway. So it was not such a such a terrible thing to happen. Sure. But but completely completely uh, out of the blue, you know, somehow I managed to get a job as a as a salesman in this music store here, which okay. was kind of a precursor to the guitar center. You know, it was this guy who yep. had like a whole chain of stores here in in LA area. So I started working there and. Uh, you know that too. That too became you know all along. Of course, I you know I I already had put together a recording studio in my apartment in New York, which I was using to you know I was getting into production. Uh-huh. You know, sure. By by then I decided you know I guess my performing days are over. You know, let's let's you know I've always I've always liked production. I knew that at some point in time where. You know, my Elvis days are behind me. I will become a record producer. You know, because that's uh-huh. my like, second love. I love doing that. So, you know, even even while still in New York, I put together the studio and, and I was doing all that stuff. That studio came with me to California. So then, you know, I got this job in this music store selling all this stuff. And, uh, of course, you know, I, I realized two things. Number one, you know, I, I kind of figured, okay, if I'm, I've, I've never really fancied being a salesman of anything. You know, it just, it just uh-huh. doesn't agree with me in my personality. Sure. But I figured, okay, well, as long as you're selling something that has to do something with, with, with something that you love, that should be cool, right? Yeah. Well, it, it didn't take me long to find out that it was just basically like working on a, you know, used car lot, except that I was selling mm. guitars and amplifiers, not cars. Right, okay. You know, so, yeah. That didn't that didn't sit right with me, and 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 to make things worse, I, I realized that I was not making a penny out of this thing because yeah. every penny that I did that I made went right back into the store because I was buying all this equipment at employee discount. Right. So right. so there, so there were you know there was there was this continuous stream of boxes leaving the store, 
but nothing yeah. was going into my pocket because right. it was going right back into his pocket. Of course. But, you know, be, because of this, but it was it was not bad because while I was working there, I made a lot of contacts, you know, with, uh, you know, with people, just, you know, customers, clients who became later on my clients and my friends. And I sure. met a lot of, you know, manufacturer representatives, you know, who helped me with the equipment. And I kind of got into, um, you know, the, the whole digital, by then the digital technology and the recording industry was really taking hold. So, you know, okay. I acquired those skills. And, you know, since then I became, you know, a, a, a pretty damn good editor, sound editor and recording yeah. engineer and stuff like that. Okay. So, you know, I got a gig that, you know, that led to the gigs that you Warner Brothers and Universal Studios and that nice. kind of stuff. Okay. So, so that kind that's of like primarily became, how you pay your bills now. Yeah. So okay. that, you know, so that became so that became a source of income as well, and at, at, at times a quite a good one, I have to good. say. Good. And then you know, and then another thing that happened as far as making a living is. Um, Another chain of circumstances led me to actually become a teacher. I started, you know, I became an assistant professor at one of the colleges, you know, teaching recording technology. Yeah, I read that. That's amazing. Yeah, and, and that was really cool because, you know, both both of my parents at some point in their life were teachers, and uh, I've never done this before, and all of a sudden I really discovered this this new thing in me that I really, really enjoyed, which is teaching the kids, all this stuff, kind of giving back, if you will. Yeah. And you know, there, you know, there were a lot of kids like that would come into my class, you know, from broken families or you know, sure. single families, you know, some of some that just don't write gangbangers and stuff like that. Right. With like, you know, <laughs> nobody's home look in their eyes, you know, kind of like yeah. lost, you know. Yeah. And you know, till this day, you know, I I, I receive so many so many mails and and messages. Oh, from great! Guys, you know, you oh, know, like great. Like you know, the, the guy would like even come to me, you know, during the break and say, "Mr. A." That's how they used to call me because I. You yeah, know, Mr. When, A. When, right on. Mr. When when the uh, when the semester start would start, I would tell them, you know, because they started calling me Arthur, and I said, oh. "Excuse me, you know." Uh, yeah. You have you have two choices. You can call me either Mr. Alexander or you can call me Mr. Alexander. You know that's your choice. <laughs> right. So 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 they you know so they they abbreviate to Mr. A. Yeah. So you know you know you see this this skinhead guy with these you know shorts hanging down from his you know the bottom of his ass you know coming over to me say hey Mr. A. You know uh-huh. you're really cool. You know like <laughs> I, I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do but right. you know. I'm loving this, you know. I think That's I, I think this is what I want to do in life. And you can see, and you can see, you know, like from this kid who walked in with this blank zombie stare in his eyes, to this flicker, almost a fire in his eyes. Like yeah, yeah. There is something. There, there is something better than than than, than tagging yeah. walls and and killing people on on, on you know on the corner of the street you know it's it, it's just such a gratifying thing you know and right you know so cool. you have well, there's something to things, teaching you know, it's a vocation yeah. right yeah i mean i know, understand when people say yeah. teaching is a calling because they yeah. it takes a lot of dedication and you may yeah. only get through to one kid but that yeah. one thing is so worth it i guess yeah right? you know i've heard that said many times before until i actually experienced it and now i know yeah. what it feels like you know, when out of the you know there were a lot of you know kids from other countries, and I all of a sudden I get this message from some 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 my my former student in Taiwan 
saying, Mr. Ray, thanks for kicking my ass. You know, oh, nice. it's, been, it's been it's been saving my ass every single day, and the day doesn't pass by when I don't think of you. Right. You know. Wow, that's great. I mean, you, you can't cool. you, you can't beat that. You know, that's no, you can't. You know, like you say, I can't save the world, but if I if I change the li- change the life of one kid, exactly. I've done Very my job. Okay, so I got to ask you one more thing though before I forget. Now, huh? it looks uh-huh. to me from what I can see on the internet and stuff that uh, Sorrows reunite once in a while for shows. And what's blowing my mind is Robbie Wrist is a part of your band now sometimes. And for anyone well, who doesn't yeah. know who Robbie Wrist is, that's Cousin Oliver from Brady Bunch. <laughs> Yes. I'm seeing him in some of these group photos. What is going on? Yeah. Well, you know, it it actually started it actually started way before before any of this happened. You know, the the whole Thoreau's unification kind of pretty much came about around the release of Bad Times, Good Times, you know, to support the album and, and to do that. Some of the guys in the band, you know, were not interested anymore, namely the drummer and the bass player. Yeah. And l- literally maybe as much as two or three years before that, I mean, we're talking MySpace days. Right. Out of the blue, out of the blue, I get this, you know, this message on MySpace that says that says, Christabel is genius. Christabel, Christabel, don't ask me if I'll ever see you again. Thank you very much. Yeah, I like the song myself. But who the hell are you? And I, and right. I see this name, Robbie Wrist, who wrote this, you know. And, <laughs> you know, so I responded, you know, thank you very much. Uh-huh. And, you know, we kind of started started this dialogue. And, you know, he said, well, you know, I'm a recording engineer and this and that. And I just absolutely am crazy about sorrows. I have both albums and I know every note of every one of them. Oh, wow. And I'm a musician. If you ever need, if you ever need any help, I'm there for you. And, you know, like I live in Burbank and he lives in Woodland Hills, which is about 20 minutes away from where I am, you know. Okay. Los Angeles okay. is a pretty spread out uh, piece of sure. land here. You know, we kind of made the acquaintance and then kind of maintained this contact. So, 
when when Soros came about again in 2010, you know, we needed a bass player. I already found a drummer to replace uh, Jed with. Uh-huh. And, you know, so I reached out to Robbie, and that's that's how he came up, came up on the scene. Wow. It was it was kind of it was kind of a, at the time it was kind of a no brainer. We wanted someone yeah. who's good, and the guy is an absolutely phenomenal musician. That's what I've heard. You know, yeah. Oh no, he is just. I mean, <laughs> it, it, you know, like talk about a child prodigy. I mean, I don't, I don't think really. Anything, oh God, yeah, this guy is just absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Interesting. Wow, yeah, he's a great singer, great you know, great player. I mean, he's a f- fantastic drummer too. Amazing, and and you know, great guitar player, great bass player. So you know, so that's you know, that's that's how cool. that association came to be. That's amazing! Wow, mm-hmm. I thought that was such an interesting bit of trivia. Yeah, yeah. Well, Arthur, thanks for doing this with me, man. I mean, oh, we uh, I kept you longer than I thought we would, but I so appreciate it. And if I been able to turn on a couple other people to sorrows and how good your stuff is. I've done my job because I just I think you're. Well, amazing. thank you. Yeah, oh. you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't remember if if I if I if I mentioned. Uh, you know, uh, within the next couple of months, you know, I've, I've I've been working all along on my first solo album that should be cool. coming out as well. And okay. now that and now that that's basically done, you know, I'm, I'm done recording. Just it's just mixing and and and. Uh, Mastering that remains, and once once that's off the plate, you know I, I'll I'll get working on on the next. There there are actually two Sorrows albums that are in the can, which is the uh, Love Too Late, which as I said is a whole story of its own. Right. And there's a, and then there's a third album which was never released, which we recorded after we parted label uh, parted ways with the label. Really. So that's you know now that my solo album stuff's is all out bigger, there. Pardon me? See, it's funny that stuff's all out there, huh? It's funny yeah. you say that because all the I've been googling all these articles with you, and almost uh-huh. all of them say new Sorrows album and new uh, Arthur Alexander album coming any time now. And some yeah. of these articles are post dated like a couple of years ago. And so uh-huh. I thought, are these? Is this ever really going to happen? And I found I think <laughs> three of your songs on on a website that I think is on your Facebook page. I think it's Reverb Nation or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they right. sounded great. Yeah, thank I you. Love thank you. Straight out well, of New Wave. Man, you're in for a treat. It's gonna be. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to blow my horn too much, but 
there's a there, there's a boatload of great songs and you know like Good. power pop you know I mean you yeah I don't even want to call it power pop just rock and roll you know just, just great music great rock and roll Good. And, and all over the place you know I mean there's the, the eclect the, the what is the word eclecticity or eclectic yeah right you know I mean you you'll you'll see I mean it's just all over cool. the map. All over the cool. map, and that's how I well, like tell it. Tell us when that happens, and we'll, uh, yeah, well I'll let I'll be, the I'll, I'll, you know, know. I'll be, that's when I'll be blowing my horn for sure. There you have it, Arthur Alexander. I love guys like that. I love hearing rock stories from that era. I love talking to people who are super opinionated. I love talking to people who are honest about themselves and their careers. Loved Arthur. Now, guys, as I mentioned in here, there's really only one thing that if you wanted to support an artist like Arthur, that you could buy. And that's the Sorrows compilation, I guess you want to call it, that we talked about. Good Times, Bad Times. It's on iTunes for like $9.99 or something like that. And it is so good. And I just, I hope that you'll support these people. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll support them. And I'm really excited to hear the new music that he comes out with. I really like the demo of this song, Hard to Get, that we played on here. So I'm curious to see what the rest sounds like. All right, come back next week. We're gonna we're gonna touch on another band, similar era, similar part of the country. I think you're gonna like it. Huge thanks as always to Jan the Man Makevich for producing the uh, the uh, episode. And please find us on iTunes and write us a review and subscribe and find us on Facebook if you want and like our page and you can send me a message if you want me to find somebody for you. We do this every time. You should know the business by now. You can send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com if you want. All right, everybody, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks.